All right. Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Andrew. Uh, so glad that you're here. Thanks for being here today. This would have been a perfect day to just sleep in on this dreary Sunday Memorial Day weekend. Uh, but you know what? Every Sunday is a good day for a nap. So uh, you, you all are here. Uh, thank you for that. Go home and take a nap afterwards. Um, man, I'm just glad that you're here. We're in this final week of this series, Acts the Church on the Move. Uh, I hope you soaked in that, that bumper video for the last time because we're saying goodbye to it. Uh, I'm a little saddened. This is like bittersweet. I've enjoyed this, this whole series and the things that we've learned from the book of Acts. Uh, so we're jumping in today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28. Um, we've been in this. This is week number 17. Last week we left off on, uh, in chapter, we finished up chapter 20. So I know some of you are like, how do we get from chapter 20 to t- chapter 28 today? Are you going to be preaching for like three hours? Maybe. Uh, no, actually, the way I think that's going to help us the most is uh, you hear me talk about this. This I reference this uh, resource often, Bible Project, BibleProject.com. I love their resources. They produce these animated videos to kind of help uh, help you understand the big picture of God's story. Uh, so we're going to watch a five-minute video um, that takes us from Acts 21 through 28. It's going to kind of summarize it, and then I want to talk about uh, and read through some of Acts chapter 28. So check out the screens. We've been exploring the book of Acts, which was written by a man named Luke as a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Acts began with Jesus telling his followers to spread the good news about his kingdom. And they would start in Jerusalem, then go out into the neighboring regions, and from there to the ends of the earth. Now, in Jerusalem, their message was received by many and opposed by many, especially by the leaders of the temple. They were scandalized by this new claim that the whole story of Israel had been fulfilled by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. One of these leaders was a man named Saul of Tarsus, who worked tirelessly to stop the movement. That is, until he met the risen Jesus himself. And this encounter transformed Saul from an enemy of Jesus into a herald of his kingdom. And so for years, he traveled about the Roman Empire using his Roman name, Paul, starting Jesus communities all over. And one of Paul's greatest desires was that all of these diverse communities would see themselves as one unified people, regardless of their differences, Jew or non-Jew, male or female, slave or free. Jesus was creating one unified family of equals living together under his rule. And this brings us to the final section of Acts. Back in Jerusalem, where the movement began, the Jewish followers of Jesus were suffering from a drought and food shortage. And Paul was so passionate about the church's unity that he began a major fundraising project among the diverse churches he had started. They would pool their money together so he and a group of representatives could take it as a relief gift to Jerusalem. But it's not safe for Paul in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders there dislike him so much They want him dead. And Paul knew he was walking into a trap. His friends all begged him not to go, but no one could stop him. And why would Paul risk his life to bring this gift? Couldn't he have sent someone else? Well, for Paul, this was personal. Jerusalem was where he used to participate in the murder of Jesus' followers. And now he gets to serve them. It's also where Jesus himself was executed. And so for Paul, it would be an honor to suffer there alongside his king. Paul goes to Jerusalem, and as expected, he's found by his enemies. A mob forms, and they try to kill him. But Roman soldiers save his life by taking him into custody. The Jewish leaders are accusing Paul of starting a revolt against Rome, but they can't prove it. And the Romans don't know what to do with him. 
Yeah, they can see Paul's not a criminal, but his claim that a crucified Jewish man is the risen king of the world, it keeps getting him into trouble. And so Paul gets transferred from one court to another until he demands that his case be tried before the court of Caesar in Rome. And so they happily ship him off. Now, throughout this section of Acts, Luke, the writer of the story, has portrayed Paul's trials and imprisonments so that they resemble his previous stories of Jesus' trials and imprisonment. Luke's making an important point. When the people of Jesus follow the way of Jesus, their stories will begin to look like his story, which is beautiful, but it also comes with a cost. On the way to Rome, the boat carrying Paul is hit by a violent storm, and everyone freaks out. Except for Paul. He's below deck hosting a meal, just like Jesus did the night before his trial. Paul blesses and then breaks the bread, promising that God is with them through this storm. And the next day, the ship hits and then breaks apart on the rocks, but everyone's washed safely ashore. Which is amazing, but Paul's not out of trouble. He's taken to Rome and put under house arrest. But it's not so bad. In his house, he can host groups of Jews and non-Jews, sharing with them the good news about Jesus, the risen king. This is a bold move in Rome, the center of power where Caesar rules the world as king. Yes, you have Jesus's alternative upside-down kingdom now growing in the very heart of the world's most powerful empire, all through the suffering of a prisoner. And with this contrast between kingdoms, Luke ends his story. That's a great image, but the story's supposed to be about this message spreading to the ends of the earth. So shouldn't it continue? Of course, Luke has left the story open-ended on purpose so that his readers would know that the story isn't over and that they can participate in Jesus' kingdom that is still spreading to this day. So that would have taken me about an hour at least to, to wrap that all up. But we're in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts today. And, you know, the reality is that we, we like our stories to conclude with a happy ending, right? We like them to resolve. Uh, but the book of Acts ends with Paul imprisoned in Rome. And, you know, he's on house arrest, which means he's got more freedom than, than if he was in a prison cell. But still, uh, this isn't quite the happy ending that we would like to see from our stories. But the reality is, like you heard, the story isn't over yet. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, we started here in the very beginning of the series. Really, it was a theme verse for all that we would see in the book of Acts. Jesus himself says to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus is fulfilling his word. He's fulfilling his promise to uh, get the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And, and actually the sermon title this morning is To the End um, because God is faithful to the end. We've sung about it this morning, but really his goal is to get the gospel to the end of the earth. And so just a few things I want to point out before we kind of land in Acts chapter 28. Uh, we see that Paul, really for, gosh, five, six, seven, eight chapters, we've seen Paul's plan, really God's overarching plan, was to get to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. 
this was the plan all along. Back in chapter 19, if you remember the scene where these former uh, magicians have come to faith in Christ, they burn their, their magic books. Immediately following that in verse number 21, it says this, After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And so we see back in chapter 19, like the goal is to get through to Jerusalem on to Rome. Uh, chapter 20, we saw last week that, that Paul said these words. He said, Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except I'm going to face imprisonment, afflictions all along the way. But the Spirit is leading me to go to Jerusalem. And then we, we, we see in chapter 23, uh, verse number 11, this wasn't just Paul's plan. This was God's plan for him. God himself says to Paul, who is in, imprisoned at this point, it says, the following night the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul, and said, Take courage, Paul, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so God is telling Paul himself, he's saying, hey, Paul, take courage. This isn't the end of your story. You're going to survive this. And you're going to go on to do the same thing in Rome that you've done here in Jerusalem. You're going to testify about me, the facts about who I am. So this is God's plan for Paul all along. So we see some important things going on in Acts 21 through 28. And I just want to summarize these things to get us up to chapter 28. One of the things we see is Paul's redemption story. So Paul's story that actually happens back in Acts chapter 9 when Saul is his name at that point. He's persecuting the church and, and, and Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus. Uh, he's, he's blinded by the light and he comes to see the light of the gospel. God changes his life, turns him around. He begins to become, like the video said, a herald of the way of Jesus. And so Paul shares this. He could never get over his story. So he shares at chapter 22 and chapter 26, Paul shares his redemption story. Uh, and then we also see from Paul his, his mission lifestyle. You know, anywhere and everywhere that Paul went, he was living on mission. His goal was to share the good news of who Jesus was with everybody that he came across. Uh, you see this here in, in, in chapter uh, 26. So let me just read these couple of verses. Paul is standing before King Agrippa in this moment. He's, he's, he's really trying to seek his own freedom, and yet Really, he's got a deeper purpose. He says in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, he's saying, hey, King, I wish that you and everybody else who heard the truth of, of the gospel, man, I wish you had what I have. I wish you had the freedom and forgiveness that I have, the relationship I have with Christ. And King Agrippa is like, Really? You're, you're here before me to seek your freedom, and really what you're doing is trying to persuade me in this little bit of time to be a Christian? But this was Paul's heart. It was to reach people with the truth. He also, you know, he didn't expect, 
He planned to be in Rome. He didn't expect to end up there as a prisoner, but he took advantage of that. He, he wanted to use whatever circumstances he was in to preach the gospel. Philippians 1.12, uh, Paul literally writes this letter to the Philippian believers in this Roman prison, and he writes to them in Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Y'all, listen to this perspective. Like, he's in prison. He's like, you know what? This isn't the ideal circumstance, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to live on mission anyways. I'm going to preach the gospel where I'm at because God has put me here in order to advance the gospel. And so he's not complaining. He's not whining and throwing a pity party. He is living on mission in any and every circumstance that he finds himself. In fact, he's imprisoned here in Rome for two years. And he doesn't just sit in his cell and rot. No, he actually writes what we call the prison epistles. I just mentioned Philippians. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, some of the best books in the New Testament Paul was, was penning while he was sitting in this prison, while he's imprisoned here in Rome. And so, man, he's, he's living on mission. Here's a third thing that we see in chapters 21 through 28. We see God's sovereignty in protecting Paul through trials and storms. God's sovereignty in protecting Paul through trials and storms. And I mean that very literally. Y'all, when we talk about like I'm going through a trial or I've got a, I'm going through a storm in my life, like it doesn't even compare to what, what Paul was experiencing. Literal trials in front of kings and governors and, and storms. Literally what we see in uh, chapters 26, 27 is, is he's in the midst of the storm and he's shipwrecked and fearful for his life. And yet God is sovereign and protecting him over all these circumstances because God has a plan and a purpose for Paul's life. And so God is sovereign over all of these things. We see these things. In, in these chapters, Acts 21 through 28. So today, Acts chapter 28, 28, I want to focus on verses 23 through 31. Really what I would say are three kind of big overarching ideas in chapter 28 that really sum up the whole book of Acts. So I want to ask you, to, if you have a Bible with you, to open it up and stand with me. We're going to read Acts 28. Acts 28, 23 through 31. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen for you. This is God's word. It's, it is truth. It is life. It is God's revelation of himself to us. And so we want to read this together. Acts 28, starting in verse number 23. It says, When they had appointed a day for him, speaking of Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement— the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Verse number 30. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that we have access to it in our own language, that we can uh, open it, we can set our eyes upon it, we can hear it, and God, uh, we can open our hearts to receive truth about who you are and what you have done. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that we wouldn't have dull hearts. I pray that we wouldn't uh, have ears that barely hear and eyes that are closed to the truth of who you are and what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would work in our midst, that you would reveal yourself to us. Help us to see your goodness and your grace. Even this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And why don't you all have a seat. Thank you for standing with me. So Acts 28, 20, 23 through 31, uh, three big things that I see in this passage as we really conclude the book of Acts and the 17 weeks study that we've been in. Here's the first thing that I see here is that the Bible is God's story of redemption. The Bible is God's story of redemption. Verse number 23, I want to go back to that. It says this, when they appointed a day for him, remember Paul's on house arrest here. He's in his own place, um, but it says that they came to him uh, at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. Okay, he's, he's going through the scriptures with them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to pers- or convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Let, let me read you a, a quote from Justin Holcomb uh, in my, my, my study Bible, the Gospel Transformation Bible. It says this, we are once again encouraged to see that the entire Bible, even the parts that come before Christ's birth, even the Old Testament, are about Christ himself. He is the point of the Bible. The Bible is fundamentally a single book with a single message of God's redemption through his son of lost and rebellious sinners. Everything in scripture from Genesis to Revelation contributes to this overarching message. And so what he's saying here is that the Bible is made up of, though it's made up of 66 books and many, many stories, it is ultimately one story with one point. And the one point is Jesus. Everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything from the Old Testament to the New, Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and what Paul does here is, is he, he did his usual thing. He started with the Jews, and what he's trying to do is show them from the Old Testament that it's all about Jesus. And so we've sung about it this morning that Jesus is at the center, and really at the center, uh, all of the Bible is all about Jesus. And this is what Paul is trying to get them to hear and to see is that this is all one unified story that points to Jesus. This is the message of Jesus. This is the story of the gospel. This is the truth of God's grace that Paul is proclaiming. Y'all, this isn't just some fun story that we go, oh, that makes me feel good or that entertains me. No, y'all, this is the story that saves. Do you believe that? This is the story that saves people from sin, that saves people from separation from God. This is the story that must enter the the ears and the eyes of every single man, woman, boy, and girl. This is the only hope for salvation, is 
the good news of the gospel. This is the story of God's redemption, of his redemptive work throughout history to save us from ourselves and from our sin and from an eternity separated from God. This is what we're calling as a church the year of mission because this is the mission. This is our calling. It is to make disciples. It is to share God's redemption story with all. This is what we are called to do. The Bible is God's story of redemption. Throughout the book of Acts, you see this. It all points to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's all about us being saved from our sin, from having, for having a relationship with God. So the Bible is God's story of redemption. Here's a second big thing that I see in this passage is at the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. At the heart of the matter, it always comes back to the heart. It always comes back to the heart. And as usual, there's, there's two different responses to when, when Paul proclaims the gospel. I, I don't know if you caught it or not. Verse number 24, here's what it says. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some said, hey, I believe it. I'm all for it. I receive it. I'm going to live this way. It's going to change me. Some said, hmm. It's not for me. Some rejected the message. So for those who rejected it, in this story, what, what is it that set them off? What set them off? What, left, what made them leave like frustrated and angry, murmuring about it? it? It was the fact that Paul quoted the Old Testament. He quoted the book of Isaiah. And he quoted this passage in Isaiah 6 where, where Isaiah, is, he's got this vision around the throne of God. He sees he sees Jesus, he sees God high and lifted up. His, his, the robe of his train fills uh, the whole room with his glory. And he's like so caught up in the glory of God. And, and God calls out and asks this question. He says, uh, it says, Isaiah said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, God is saying, here is this message of redemption and forgiveness and freedom. Who's going to take this message? Who's going to go with this message? And Isaiah who has received like the cleansing and the forgiveness of God here goes, God, here am I. Send me. I will go. I will take this message that has changed me and I will take it to the end of the earth. And what Paul does is he, he quotes Isaiah. Paul is playing the part of Isaiah because Paul with his life has said, God, I will go. Wherever you send me, I will take this message. No matter what circumstances, no matter what persecution I face, I will go. But then the rest of Isaiah points to this, this uh, rest of Isaiah 6 that he quotes points to this um, reality that many who hear don't really hear. And, and many who see have actually closed their eyes to the truth. Why? It says because their hearts are dull. Okay, so another word we might use for this, um, we might say that our hearts were, are, are hardened or our hearts are calloused. All right, have you ever had like a cal, you know, like calluses? Um, you know, I, I think of when someone's learning to play the guitar and, you know, they're playing strings and you get these calluses where you can't really feel your skin anymore. It's kind of numb. There, there's no longer feeling. And, and this is what Paul says, this is what Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says to Isaiah, is that people don't hear or see the truth of who God is and what he's done because their hearts have grown calloused. They, don't, they no longer feel. 
they're, they're resistant to the goodness of God. So they may see, they may hear, but they're really not, they're really not getting it. Why? Because they have a calloused heart. And as long as a person's heart is calloused, he or she will never turn to God and do what, what Paul says here and, and be healed. Because at the root of what keeps a person from God is a hard heart, a hard heart. And maybe some of you this morning have a hard heart where you're like, whatever, I don't care about this. This doesn't interest me. Maybe you've been there before. God has to do a work in every single one of our hearts where he takes our cold, hardened heart and he softens it. He does something to, to soften our heart. For some people, it's going to take something drastic. It's going to take um, a tragedy. It's going to take you falling to rock bottom for God to soften your heart and make you open to whatever it is he wants to say to you. But this is the work of God, is to soften the heart. As the prophets would say, here, here is what the prophets of old would say. They would say, break up your fallow ground because the soil of your heart it, it isn't it isn't receiving the reign of God's truth. And so God has to, to break and to, to soften hard hearts. Why? Because God ultimately wants our hearts. God wants our hearts. This story of God's redemption isn't something just for us to know, for us to mentally ascend to. It's something that changes our heart and changes our lives. This is what is at the heart of the matter. It's where is our heart. God wants our hearts. He wants to root us in the gospel. He wants uh, the gospel to be rooted in us because only then, then and only then can we experience wholeness and healing is when we're, our hearts are rooted in the truth of who he is. And so the Bible, number one, is is God's story of redemption. Number two, at the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Paul was trying to get this message through, their, their, through all their thick skulls and their, their years of understanding and hearing Scripture, man, he wanted to get to the heart of it. It was their hearts needed to be softened. softened. Here's the third thing that we see in Acts 28 as we wrap up this book. Jesus is still building his church. Jesus is still building his church. I just want to read again verses 28 uh, through 31. Verse 28, it says, Paul he quotes Isaiah. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Uh, many of you may, may not have noticed this if you got a physical Bible. Um, most translations drop verse 29. So you may, like, in your Bible, go from verse 28 to, to 30, and you're like, what, what happened? Uh, so many of the old manuscripts from which this, the English was translated, um, they excluded this verse. But here, here's what the verse uh, might say. When he had said these words, the Jews departed, having much dispute among themselves. So Paul finishes up. They leave. They're angry. They're disputing. Verse number 30. Paul, it says, lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. So he's basically, he's renting out this place to live there. He's paying his own, uh, he's, he's living there on his own dime. He's working hard uh, to afford this place. Um, I believe it's because of what it says next. He welcomed all who came to him. He probably wanted a bigger uh, space so that more and more people could come and he could talk to them about Jesus. 
So he lived there for two years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the book of of Acts ends, but the reality is that the mission is not yet complete. The story is not yet over. The story continues through us. The story continues through us. You remember when Jesus, he made this statement to to Peter back in Matthew 16, verse 18. He he said, somebody's going to build the church. You remember who he said was going to build the church? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't, won't prevail against it. Jesus said, this is my work to do. I am going to build my church. He's talking about the church, his people called out ones, his blood-bought, redeemed saints. He says, I will build my church, but I'm going to use you to do it. And that's what we see all throughout the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit empowers them to preach the gospel and endure suffering to get this message out. And Jesus is still in this work today. Let Let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit started this work of building his church first through the apostles, now through us. Y'all, it's our turn. This is why the book ends uh, unresolved, because the story's not over. The mission isn't complete. The baton, as it were, has been passed off to us to finish the story, to continue to preach the gospel to the end to the ends of the earth. Y'all, we are, let me make a statement here. We are a great commission church. Y'all know what that means? You know what the great commission is? The great commission, Matthew 28, when Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he gathered his disciples around and he said, hey, all authorities have been given in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. I'm, I'm giving you my authority. I'm giving you my power. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And he says, and I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Y'all, we are a Great Commission church. This is the reason that we are still here. It's because there are still men and women, boys and girls, who need to hear the good news of the gospel, that need to have their hearts softened to receive the truth of the gospel. We are a great commission church. Jesus commissioned us to go make disciples. It is a, we call it a co-mission because he is with us. We play our part alongside of Jesus who builds his church through us. This is our mission. We believe the gospel. We rest in the gospel. We proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. And Jesus builds his church. This is the pattern throughout Acts. This is the pattern in 2023. We play our part. Jesus builds his church. I would, I would love to see. So we, I, I'm... I'm still struggling to believe that we're like on the doorstep of, of the month of June. 
Y'all, this month has, or this year has, has felt like a month, right? It has flown by so fast. Uh, we're almost at the midpoint of this year. Um, I just think about, in my mind, I'm thinking about this, this summer, and I'm ready to, like, take it easy a little bit. Some of y'all are heading on vacations and relaxing, and I've got that in my plans, too. Uh, but I'm dreaming and thinking about the second half of this year and really what, what I hope to see God do in our church um, throughout the remainder of this year. And there's, there's a few things that I want to see. Uh, I would love to see us experience more people believe in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and be baptized. That was a great place for an amen. amen. Thank you. Okay. Better late than never. All right. uh, I would love to see more people experience freedom and forgiveness in Jesus to put their faith, like, I want to see more hearts soften to the truth of who he is. That is a work that only God can do. But I would love, I would love, love, love for us to see more and more people find freedom in Christ and full life in Christ. I would love to see more people uh, discipled and growing in their faith, like growing deeper and stronger in their faith that that, that more and more people would be able to endure hardship and affliction because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I would love to see that happen this year. I would love to, to, for us to do more to get the gospel out to our neighbors and to the nations. I would love to see us become more of a Great Commission church that is, is doing more to get the gospel out to our neighbors and the nations. I would love to see that. And I'm going to work towards that end, is, is helping lead us in that direction. I would love to see more of us serve the Lord uh, in our community and uh, whether that's within the, the programs of our church or outside of the programs of our church. Y'all realize that you can serve people and you can serve the Lord and get the gospel out whether we as a church have a program for it or not. Like God puts you in the places he puts you so that you could live on mission like Paul did. So I would love to see all of these things, but the goal at the end of the day is always, 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 always to get more people into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of God. Would I love to see our church grow? Absolutely, but what's most important at the end of the day is that we see more and more people come into the kingdom of God. That's what we want. I'm gonna quote uh, one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon. You know, I love an old dead theologian quote. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Let me read it again. It is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. Jesus is still building his church on earth. And I want to hear you say amen if you believe this. I believe that God is still building his church here. Amen. Y'all are with it. <laughs> I believe that he is building his church here. It is, a, it is a blessing and a joy to be a part of what God is doing, to be a part of God building his church. And so I want to encourage you, do not miss this moment. Don't let this moment pass you by. If you haven't joined God in what he is doing, if you haven't joined us in what we are doing, what God is doing here I think Acts 28 is the invitation for us to join God in what he's doing. That God is still building his church. He's still writing his story. He's still getting the good news to people who once had hardened hearts, who once had cold hearts and stiff necks. And man, he's softening people to the truth of the gospel. And I think he's still doing it and still wants to do it in this church 
And so here is one of the things that, you know, one of the questions that might pop up when we come to the end of the book of, of Acts. Acts chapter 28, Paul, it ends with Paul, who's again on house arrest, two years, he's paying his own dime to live in this place. People are still coming to him, and it says that he's, he's preaching the gospel boldly and without hindrance. So that doesn't mean without trouble, that doesn't mean without affliction and struggle, it means that the word of God is unhindered. There's nothing that's going to stop the gospel from getting out. And so we, the, the story ends and the question is, okay, so what, what happens to, to Paul at this point? Because we don't, we don't see what happens to Paul here. So let, let me tell you what is generally believed by tradition, history, would tell us that Paul spent two years here. After uh, that two years, his, his case came before uh, Nero. And I'll talk more about who Nero is in a second. But Nero acquitted him. Paul went free, probably had a few more years uh, of life and, and ministry ahead of him. Um, tradition would say that he went on a fourth missionary journey to you know, preach the gospel and strengthen churches. Uh, but what happened is ultimately he was arrested a second time uh, and brought as a prisoner to, to Rome. And the second, uh, the second imprisonment wasn't as, uh, it, it was much more harsh than the first one. He wasn't on house arrest. Uh, in fact, he, this is where we see in 2 Timothy 4, I think Jake mentioned it a couple weeks ago, when Paul is coming to the end of his life, he sees it's like it's almost over. He says, all of my, my closest friends, everyone has deserted me. Nobody stood by my side. And this is where 2 Timothy 4, where he says, I fought the fight. I've run my race. I've been faithful to the Lord. This is what Paul comes to here. Um, in, in Rome. And eventually what happens is uh, he doesn't get off the second time. He is executed. He is uh, beheaded by Nero. Nero was an evil, wicked uh, Roman emperor who was, who was most well known for his persecution and his brutal um, torturing of, of Christians. So what he might be most well known for is is he was accused of burning down Rome and then blaming it on, on the Christians. Uh, one of the stories I remember about Nero was that he uh, would impale Christians uh, and set them up as human torches to light up, light up his evening garden parties. This was the kind of persecution that the early church faced. This is the kind of persecution that Paul um, his life was ended by this, this wicked king. This is the kind of persecution that the early church, including Paul, said, you know what? It's all worth it if I get the good news of the gospel to people. I may be in, in prison, but I am free. And there are people who are free who are imprisoned to their sin and their shame, and they need freedom. And so I'm going to take the gospel to them. This, this was the life of, of Paul. This is the story of the book of Acts you know, we, we celebrate tomorrow, Memorial Day, we celebrate those who have willingly sacrificed, given their lives for the, for the greater cause of freedom. And the early, early church, the apostles, uh, were ones who really set the precedent following Jesus, that they were willing to give their lives, they were willing to sacrifice everything for true and ultimate freedom in Christ. And so when you think about the life of Paul, as we wrap this up, there, there's several passages we could go to to, to 
you know, consider Paul's last words, 2 Timothy 4, there's some great words there. Uh, many words that could serve as Paul's eulogy of sorts. But I want to end with, with some of Paul's own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 through 10. Paul kind of sums up really the, his, his, his life in the book of Acts, his ministry. Here's what Paul says. But as servants of God... This really sets the stage for everything. I see myself as a servant of God. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And he kind of turns the corner by purity, by knowledge, by patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of of righteousness for the, the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing what? Everything. As having nothing yet possessing everything. And so my prayer as we conclude this book is may we be found as faithful servants like this. May the Holy Spirit use us May Jesus continue to build his church through us. May we live on mission as the church on the move. Amen. God, thank you for what we see in the book of Acts. Thank you for this example of the early church, God, who endured so much to get the gospel to the world to get the gospel to us. We are benefactors of their sacrifice, of their their life as servants of God, missionaries to take the good news of the gospel to the end of the earth. Lord, we thank you for that grace that is available to every single one of us, that grace that cleanses us of our sin, that grace that forgives us. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has a heart that is calloused and hardened towards you, God, I pray that you would do a miraculous supernatural work of of softening their hearts to hear your still small voice, that you would soften their hearts to receive the truth of how good and kind you are. God, it is your work to do, not mine. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to live on mission, to be the church on the move, to follow in the footsteps of Paul, to take the baton and to run with it in every place that you've sent us, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our school, God, in our community, to the nations, God, that you have sent us. May we respond like Isaiah, may we respond like, Paul, here I am, send me. God, would you continue to build your church here in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.